everyone and welcome to another episode of To See or Not To See. I am your host, Grace Curley, and today I will be diving into the childhood classic Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. Now, most of us have grown up with Peter Pan, but most people tend to miss the most fundamental aspect that allows us to understand ourselves, and that is why we are still suffering. And there is a reason that this tale has withstood such a test of time and why it is still so rightfully renowned. When we were kids we tended to be attracted to the pure rush of excitement and adventure that Peter Pan conjures but as we grew older we tended to notice some of the more darker themes and pick up on the symbolism, allegory and metaphor that it is rife with. And the truth it uncovers is largely relevant to today's society as in any era of time. Because of the many layers and angles of Peter Pan, this episode will be split into two parts, the first in which I will be discussing the portrayals of the inner child and eternal boy syndrome, the fragmented self, and the irreplaceable love of the mother. Stay tuned! Peter Pan symbolises our inner child, the child inside all of us who never grows up. This is our freedom, our wonder, imagination and our dreams that we never let go of, not truly. Pan never grows up because he is free from the confines that adults generally have. The fear, the trauma, the conditioning. Since he was an infant, he never knew the word limit because it was never taught to him as it was taught to the rest of us. In Neverland, it is the ultimate truth that limitation is only real if we make it real. The Lost Boys and Peter are able to eat lavish feasts by imagining it and believing it to be real and not one of them goes hungry. Pan is able to fly because he is never once believed that he couldn't. All he needs to do is think happy thoughts, but because nothing but immediate happiness is present in his mind, he is always thinking happy thoughts. Therefore, he is always able to fly. The moment you doubt whether you can fly, you cease forever to be able to do it. Because of this lack of definition of the constructs that makes a civilization and a member of society, Peter lives for nothing except happiness. He only pursues things that make him feel immediately good, but because time is also a man-made construct that he has escaped from, time is also not real to him. So every happy feeling is forgotten with the same swiftness as it was conjured. He does not live his life by the passage of time and therefore does not seem to rely on it or fear it the way others do. In the books, when he visits Wendy, he does not realise it has been years, but rather days. Sometimes he forgets to visit her at all, simply because he lives from moment to moment. There is no holding on to the past. Thus, he tends to forget her, despite their history. Peter is the embodiment of no attachment, and because of this freedom, he is able to pursue anything, go on any adventure, and make the impossible possible, without any real repercussions. Subsequently, it is known that when someone says, fairies aren't real, then a fairy somewhere falls down dead. It is only possible to resurrect them by many people clapping loudly and saying, I do believe in fairies, and really meaning it. It is not just in the act of imagination that a fairy may live, it is in the belief of that imagination. Thus, when one truly believes in magic and magical beings, that belief invigorates the perpetuation and perseverance of magic, as in it creates a reality in which the impossible is now possible. 
Fairies are created from a baby's laughter, the most innocent act from the most innocent being. Therefore, when fairy dust is blown onto someone, that pure innocence allows them to become weightless and unencumbered, like the mind of a child, thereby permitting them to fly. When Peter blows the dust on the children, he is allowing them to embody and reclaim that true childlike essence, that part of themselves that perhaps had started to be overcome unknowingly. It is implied that some kids even lack that innate, unspecific, childlike wonder after a certain age. They become too interfered with, too conditioned, and too trespassed upon. For example, there is the character of Hook. He is a grown man on the island of Neverland where boys can seem to avoid growing up. He is the mortal enemy of Peter Pan and devotes his entire life to killing him and taking his revenge. He claims that it is because Peter cut off his hand and fed it to a crocodile, but that is not all he resents. Hook is the embodiment of the disillusioned child in an adult's body. He is filled with fear, resentment, hatred, insecurity, and unachieved dreams. His biggest fear is the passage of time and the reality it brings, aging, decay, limitation, impotence, and the inevitability of death. He is deathly terrified of the crocodile whose arrival is always announced by the ticking noise of the swallowed clock. But Hook is not just afraid of the crocodile, he is afraid of what the crocodile represents, which is the end of the hourglass, the running out of time. TikTok plagues his dreams because he is perpetually running from time and the whips and scorns it brings, and he is ultimately resentful of Peter Pan because of his freedom of such plaguing. He is a thing that time does not touch and never will touch, existing with such lofty ease and selfishness within the thing that Hook has desired his entire life. In the stage play and the 2003 film for which I will mainly be drawing comparison, the same actor who plays Wendy's father, Mr. Darling, plays the character of Hook, and this is no coincidence. Mr. Darling is the average middle-class working man who must provide for his family and earn the favour of his colleagues and bosses to earn a place in society. He must constantly pretend, sacrifice, contain and compromise. He must suck up to his superiors despite disliking them. He must put the opinions of others before his and his family's happiness. And he has put away his dreams for this cyclic life of pretense that has become tradition for English men at that time, and honestly is still prevalent in today's society. Thus, Hook is the fragment of Mr. Darling that he has locked away. He is the part of everyone that grows and festers in contained darkness, like a tumour that is rarely acted upon but rather suppressed. Hook is the personified and actualized child in every man that never grows up. The scorned boy, the cry in the night, the lashes on the hand, the tears not allowed to fall. His is the disappointment, rejection, fear, and desire for love that every child has experienced, that always leaves its mark long into adulthood. This is why the decision of having the same actor playing Hook and Mr. Darling makes such perfect sense. They are two sides of the same coin. While Mr. Darling eventually awakens to his inner child by adopting the Lost Boys after his kids return, Hook can never face the truth of his existence or the subject of his fear. 
He can only maintain his hunt and bloodlust for pen instead of facing the truth within him. It is by the hand of his own fear that he perishes. In a full circle conclusion, Hook is eaten by the same crocodile that took his hand, the symbol of time that has plagued his mind. This is the effect of a man so entrenched in his own trauma and identity and fear that he may not find happiness or redemption, even when it is offered, but must fall at the hands of his own forgotten mind, must go down with the ship that he has built out of the ruins of his soul. In my opinion, Hook was a lost boy himself, along with the rest of the pirates, as it was never stated how or why Hook even got to Neverland. But instead of idolizing Peter like the other lost boys, he grew to resent him, his easy happiness and detachment, and in that resentment he grew up into an adult despite being in Neverland, because that darkness belongs nowhere in a child's mind. Because it was not about the age of a boy that prevented time from claiming them. It was their lack of fear, their lack of restriction, their lack of logic, and their lack of turmoil that stayed their aging. They were to be boys forever because they were boys in their heart. They still had the uncorrupted naivety of youth, while Hook was burdened by knowledge, that knowledge that grew into fear and paranoia. Those limitations were set upon him by his own mind and saw the consequences of those limitations. So he grew up because time only governed those who were slaves to it and thus he knew he could never truly be free. Thus that resentment withered and grew into hatred for the living example of freedom. Neverland could symbolize the area of everyone's imaginations that only exists in dreams, that we forget during the pains of adulthood. It is the veil between reality and imagination, the limitless microcosm of possibility and belief that time or age does not touch, but only obscures. And Neverland exists in everyone's mind, because it is a state of mind, just like the wardrobe in Narnia. And perhaps Neverland is the mind, the mind before the contamination by society. The clean and resonant mind, whose architecture was devised in divine proportion. The lake of stillness, the clean water that tumbles from the river, that trickles over every muddy rock and still streams untouched and unabated. Such a mind only exists in children, and even in them, sustains for even shorter a period. Because such a mind cannot be maintained when existing in society, not because of the society's innate evil, but because of the foundations from which a functioning society is built. while describing the feeling of the island, does not describe specific physical qualities that makes it possible to envision the island. This is because Neverland is different for every child because it is a representation of every child's mind. It also is described to wake up when Peter arrives. In my opinion, this is because the island is powered by Peter's imagination. He is the orchestrator whose very presence enlivens the magic it's constructed on. Thus, the inner child creates and maintains the plane of existence in which it survives and draws nourishment from. So Neverland is the uncorrupted mind before the ego, but is this the ideal put forward by J.M. Barry as his wish for humankind? Not exactly, because like everything carried out in extremity, only chaos can ensue. There have been many interpretations of Barry's work, but an interesting one is that in fact, Pan is the villain and Hook is the hero. 
This take highlights that Pan was the tyrant of Neverland who went to Earth to kidnap children to become the Lost Boys and at the time of puberty, kill them. While Hook was an escaped Lost Boy who devoted his life to taking down Peter Pan and freeing the other children. While this is an interesting interpretation, I personally think that there is no specific villain or hero in this story. There are only there are only deficient fragments of oneself that are searching for something unnameable, that are doomed to be forever lost unless confronted with the truth of their division. However, I will analyse the darker aspects of Peter Pan's psyche. Throughout the novel, Pan is shown to be utterly unempathetic, inconsiderate, selfish and unconcerned. He does not see the innate value of people, even those who love him, like Wendy, Tinkerbell and his lost boys. He only loves what they can do for him or what they symbolise to him. Wendy, being the only girl in his pack, he sees as the mother figure he needs for the lost boys. A placeholder, as he himself holds the place of father. But these titles are only fanciful ideals for him, not real commitments or responsibilities. He is only vaguely aware that something is missing from his life and the lives of the Lost Boys because they are still, incomprehensibly and eternally, yearning for something they cannot place. They miss and long for the maternal love of the mother, the touch on the forehead, the embrace of unconditional love, safety and protection. Even if they do not understand such a concept in their minds, they feel the absence of it in their souls until it becomes a presence. So even in a place of no bounds, they cannot be genuinely happy because there is always that lonely part of them. And Peter sees this because he is shrewd and feels everything as fully as every emotion is fleeting. He is aware of that unsaid longing, so he takes Wendy to Neverland, hoping she will be their mother and then that weight can go away that they can all go back to having unimpeded fun. Because of this lack of emotion and attachment to anything or anyone, it makes him an entirely dangerous and emotionally violent person. He inspires love and admiration, but cannot comprehend such emotions in himself. He takes that devotion and turns it into a means to an end, without regarding the other person as human. This makes people eventually give up on him as Wendy returns to her old life, taking her brothers and the lost boys with her. Because even Peter Pan cannot give them that which they will always miss, the sustaining love of a parent. Thus, Peter is alone at the end, just as Hook was alone at the end. And because of his nature, he will always be alone, even when he has people at his side. Because people are transient placeholders to him. It is stated in the book that Tinkerbell has died after Wendy returns home as fairies are naturally short-lived creatures. But Peter has already forgotten about Tinkerbell, the Lost Boys, and even Hook by the time Wendy returns to Neverland for spring cleaning. Because while Peter personifies the inner child, the puer eternus, the eternal boy syndrome, he is also encumbered by one fear, to grow up. He scorns Mrs. Darling when she offers to adopt him too, saying that they'll catch him and make him a man, because he sees what growing up does to people. It makes them stiff, hindered, weighed down, sluggish, and convoluted. All he has ever seen adults do is abandon, reject, hurt, and lie. So even Peter is not truly free. As long as that fear exists, it will always drive him, just as Hook's fear drove him. So this portrays that every extreme in one direction ultimately causes the same loneliness. To never grow up 
and to forget your inner child. Each polarity causes an incongruence. It is only when one achieves this balance between aligning one's insides with their outsides as someone whole yet evolving to not remain stuck and to not remain transient, that is the answer to the possibility of genuine wholeness or the actualization of the self that Hook and Pan both are unable to achieve. There could not have been a lovelier sight, but there was none to see it, except a little boy who was staring in at the window. He had ecstasies innumerable, that other children can never know, but he was looking through the window at the one joy from which he must be forever barred. This is written at the end of the novel, when Wendy and the Lost Boys return to her mother. This proves that you can do anything and everything, experience every ecstasy, and go on any adventure. But if you do not have the love of a parent, then all those ecstasies may pale in meaning. They become extra, a compensation to fill a hole that can never truly close. As long as that subcutaneous longing still exists, nothing can ever replace it. There will always be loneliness even when one is not alone or unloved. Once this vital limb has been ripped away from a child, it is like turning them naked into the night, dooming them to wander along the streets forever. They can clothe and board themselves, but it will never take away from the fact that they have been rejected and abandoned by the one person that has sworn to protect them and love them without question. That child never truly grows up, and instead inhabits a deep and secretive part of the grown-up's soul, a part that will always remain untouched by any achievement, success, or external validation, a part that he must live with if he does not have the ability to transform it. Even at the end, when the Lost Boys are made to walk the plank, they still hold such high regard for their mothers, despite never knowing them. Wendy pronounces that she knows their mothers would want them all to die like English gentlemen, and they all chorus, I will do what my mother hopes. Even the pirates are moved by the presence of Wendy, who everyone calls mother. They are touched by her final words and the Lost Boys' devotion to their mothers. As the pirates are just Lost Boys, grown up, they too have lived without a mother, and know just how lonely and deficient it is. And then when Smee ties Wendy to the mast, he even whispers, I'll save you if you promise to be my mother. This proves that there is a child in every man and every adult who grows up with this deficiency that only ever truly craves for the love and validation of a mother. Just like in this quote, it has something to do with the riddle of his being. If he could get the hang of the thing, his cry might become, to live would be an awfully big adventure. Peter himself realises that he has not been living, he has only been experiencing. He goes through every adventure and emotion as fleeting as the wind, and does not have the capacity to retain anything long-term, memory, sentiment, or meaning. He does not learn from his actions, thus he will never know what it is like to truly live, despite his adventures. Because that part of life, the biggest and most profound and most fundamental part, has been barred from him. Love, friendship, family, home, those things do not exist for him, and that Peter has willingly rejected, because his fear that is his identity outweighs that loss. He would rather live a transient life of short-lived ecstasy than grow and evolve to the next phase of his life like the rest of them. Because that way, he knows he will never be hurt again. He can never be rejected and abandoned again, and he can never be contained. 
Peter says that he had once returned to his mother after being lost in Neverland for a time, but found her window barred shut and with a new baby. This was the greatest rejection he could ever know. Evidently, even when Peter had been entrenched in the magic of Neverland, he still remembered his mother. He still yearned for her. He was willing to give it all up to be loved again. But that door was closed to him, and so he returned, and shut out, and rejected that part of himself that would always yearn, would always be lonesome, and he carried that rejection as a fundamental belief that all adults are rotten, and mothers aren't even all they are cracked up to be. Next episode, I will be discussing the Jungian archetypes, the tragedy of forgotten youth and false identity, and how genuine happiness cannot be achieved unless the self becomes actualized. Thank you for listening to another episode of To See or Not To See. I am your host, Grace Curley. What did you see or not see? That is the question. (laughs) 